Welcome to the 12 Days of Edition Wars, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all of the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't work, and what led to better games, as well as that other option, and we talk about it all. This series features a deep dive into the DMG rule supplement series of books for second edition AD&D. What advice can we take from these books and use in our current games? On this, the 11th day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me 11 necromancers piping. Oh, wait, wait, that doesn't sound right. Uh, it's the complete book of necromancers. This second edition source book was written by Steve Kurtz and was published in 1995. It is the seventh in a series of nine DM-focused books for second edition AD&D. You recognize the blue covers. They are faux leather with some silver embossed uh, writing on them. They're sort of the DM's companion or counterpart to the sort of faux brown leather covered with gold embossed writing, those complete class books for players. Well, the DM had their own set as well. And there was a historical set, as my lovely co-host Brandis reminded me uh, last episode or a couple episodes ago, that there's a green series of historical references. And then there's the blue series of DM references as those the brown series of player references. And what we're looking at is this blue series. And we are on book number seven, although we skipped some. It's okay. It's okay that we skipped some. We'll talk about that later. We're on number seven right now, and we're on the second part of number seven, which means we've done two or three chapters of this book. Brandis, what say you, sir? Uh, I think that probably if we need to figure out whose fault it is this season, we should investigate the Defense Against the Dark Arch teacher. <laughs> what, what am I which, studying? Which one? <laughs> Uh, well, in every season, there's something wrong with the Defense Against the Dark Arch teachers. I know, and they're always bad. Yeah, every time. Uh, well, you know what? Not, not the time to have that debate. Uh, so chapter four is called The Dark Art, and it is going deep on you know, dark and sinister necromancy spells. I'm so into this. This is my content, people. Well, hold on now. It goes into dark and sinister necromancy spells, but before it does so, it's it true. splits them up into black necromancy or criminal necromancy, gray or neutral necromancy, and of course, white necromancy or benign necromancy. And it, and it yep. provides a little framework to think about what those categories mean. And... It has this little nugget in the uh, criminal necromancy section. It says black necromancy usually brings death, physical injury, or spiritual annihilation in an excruciating and terrifying manner. In order to make the evil nature of a spell painfully clear, the DM should feel free to improvise, exaggerate, or embellish a particularly dry description. <laughs> so it's admitting that some of the spell descriptions are dry and you should embellish the hell out of it. So I thought that was kind of funny. I think that's good. <laughs> um, it, it also puts me in mind of second ed Ravenloft that really leaned into like having additional like non rules adjacent effects for spells that are part of this is how the spell interacts with Ravenloft. Um, right. And I think that is a big part of being in Ravenloft is everything has new consequences you aren't used to. Um, but it also calls to mind for me um, the uh, additional spell description material in the first ed DMG and Unearthed Arcana 
mm-hmm. they're kind of rules clarifications and they're kind of bonus rules. Right. They're, they're in this sort of gray space between mm-hmm. those, mm-hmm. but I like it because it creates some uncertainty for players around some of the farther downstream effects of their spells. And that's pretty cool. There's, there's some mystery and some uncertainty in magic and that's not approached well in terms of the DM remember to implement this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if you can do it, the outcome is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, just for the audience's sake, before we move on and actually talk about actual spells and their descriptions, these are wizard spells, right? That we're talking about in, in this particular, and, you know, we spent the last episode talking about wizards. There is a whole half of this book that talks about priests and priestly spells. So, so just so you understand, necromancer is, is a wizard who is, is, is using these sort of evil you know, necromantic spells, whereas a priest or cleric or a paladin or somebody that's you, or it wouldn't be a paladin, but you know what I'm saying? A priest on that side, it's going to be a death priest. It's not going to be a necromancer, but they fall under the same sort of umbrella. So in terms of necromancy, we're talking about wizard spells, okay? And the, the criminal ones or the black necromancy ones, those are the ones with pain, dismemberment, death, torture, terror, those things. The gray or neutral necromancy section, it says the majority of necromantic spells are actually gray category spells because there's some moral uncertainty with how it's used because the spell itself is not necessarily evil intrinsically, but it's how you use it. And then it gives an example. It says animate dead. You're raising up a zombie. If you raise up a zombie to carry luggage, you can decide to not consider that an evil act because you raised up a zombie, but it's carrying luggage. It's not doing anything evil, you know, directly. But if you're animating the zombie for the purpose of attacking a merchant caravan or taking over a city, then that's going to be considered an evil act right now. That's you know that's a little uh, weird kind of example. Um, benign or white necromancy is magic use that could actually be used to heal bone fractures, for example, heal wounds. The thing is that it makes a point of saying you know it is a, a sort of healing power, but it's not a healing power like you would find from a cleric or a priest, because when you uh, use this. When you use this magic to heal something or someone, you're actually stealing life's life energy from one thing and giving it to the thing that you're healing. Whereas with the cleric's divine healing, you're actually pulling that energy and getting that energy from the divine power. And so you're not actually pulling life energy off of another, right? So in other words, even though this is benign, you still are hurting something to heal another. So it's still a necromantic sort of spell. Yep. And then it moves on to talk about the spells. Um, I do think your point about the Ravenloft thing is, is well taken. And I think uh, in this chapter, at the beginning of this chapter, they try, they go a long way towards trying to make sure that, uh, that the DM understands that these spells can be used for all different kinds of, purposes and you know and we talked about this a lot on the last episode but you know this book is not just for making npcs even though they twist themselves into a pretzel to try to present it as such 
you know, it's also for applying to player characters if the DM so chooses to have that in his campaign or her campaign. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, if the, if the DM wants it in their campaign, then it can be there and it's giving you the rules in order to do that. But if you choose not to, then you don't have to. Yep. I, I do like that the text calls out, um, only in Ravenloft does white necromancy even potentially have additional consequences. Mm-hmm. No power because they're they're engaging directly with the powers checks in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that is exactly. an aspect of Ravenloft that has not survived into fifth edition, really. Except also, sort of, it has, but sort of not. It's mm-hmm. you know what? This is not a veneration's guide review episode yeah yeah. um there's one other thing that we learn in this in this chapter and that is that this book has something that none of the other dmgrs that we've reviewed has in it and that is a series of appendices because in the appendices of this book they end up spelling out for you the spells they put them in different tables and whatnot, along with the descriptions and everything that are in the chapter, they then yep. port those into the to the end game part of the book. So it's an easy reference. So that's kind of a nice touch that they did. Um, right. They I also mean, ch- chapter 10 yeah. of complete book of villains is only technically not an appendix. Right. You know. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, they also have a nice um, a nice table on here that actually lists out specifically the forbidden spells of black necromancy in, in terms of their the damage that they would do maybe uh, if a, if a PC used them would be really bad. Um, yep. Um, well, like the uh, table 10 forbidden spells of black necromancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a very long table, right? And it has uh, just a few spells. You're, we're talking three to five spells at most spell levels, mm-hmm. um, but a few spells at, at each spell level. It's worth noting that this is more necromancy spells in this brief table than exist in all of Five E right now. Mm-hmm. So, like, my my heart goes out to necromancer wizards because <laughs> there are not enough spells to play you. Um, it, it's also fair to point out that uh, that these spells that are on this table don't all come from this book. These spells come from other For sure. from other sources: Tome of Magic, uh, Forgotten Realms guide uh the, the wizard's handbook right so there, there's a whole bunch in here that is not actually in this book so they're actually this book kind of pulls together all of those and in fact that's part of what some of that the appendix that's part of the job that that appendix is doing as well because it adds those in i i believe um anyway so do you want to talk about spells <laughs> i do i do i uh, i mean creepy spells are extremely ideal mm-hmm. um we start with animate dead animals. Uh, it's a lot like animate animate dead, but with lower hit dice caps. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing stopping you from doing this in doing a spell like this in Five E, other than um, those stat blocks would be annoying if you didn't uh, use the new um, like the, the, the summoning model. So it's it's fine. It's good low end stuff. I mean. Necromancer starts by animating dead animals is the narrative. That mm-hmm. that's exactly right. the yeah. the creepy fantasy. Yeah, it's um, a first level spell. It's not supposed to be all powerful, you know. Right. And 
spells are going to be laid out here in ascending spell level. You have to remember how second ed presents spells. It's not alpha by spell. Mm -hmm. It's alpha by spell within spell level, which is a weird idea, but there you go. Um, You think so? uh, I like it better. (laughs) I think if you have to know what what level a spell is in order to look it up, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in in, a re- in reference terms, sure, I would rather something just be full alphabetical. But in a book like this, I think it's fine to have it as by level. And then anyway. This but is during play, it's a reference book. Uh, okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I mean, I, ideally, you'd photocopy everything and have a spell book prop at the table, right? Right. People do that, sure. not just me. Yeah, um, a, f- a few people. I think there's a small percentage, but given the number of D&D players, that might be a lot of people. Anyway, then we get to Corpse Link, which is also a first level spell. And it basically allows you to cast the spell on a uh, freshly animated zombie, for example, or or a corpse, a fresh corpse. Um and it basically lets you use that that un, that now undead creature as your sensory gathering apparatus, right? So you can yep. walk around, see through its eyes, you can hear through its ears, you can smell with its nose, you can taste, I guess, if it's going to eat, you know, something, um, you know, so that sort of thing. It's it's sort of uh, interesting because you're basically turning that sort of you know you, you know there's a sort of familiar thing here right familiars often can you know provide you sensory information um in, in such sort of a tropey thing and here instead yeah. it's an undead right i mean it's in 5e it's just beast sense but for dead bodies mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. um and then we get the dalek spell <laughs> um it's for those of it's you who like, aren't Doctor Who fans, that's exterminate, exterminate. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically power word kill, but for things with uh, a maximum of about three hit points. Right. Yeah. PCs are not going to learn this spell. It's just here to be a story about necromancers. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah. You know, if... if uh, if yeah, you're probably I mean, if, right about that. But if you know, there are quite a few players who want to go with a particular narrative who might choose to learn the spell if they were oh, going to try to be. Well, sure. So, so uh, if I were bringing something like this into fifth, I would make it specialized in murdering swarms mm-hmm. because the the swarm as a quote unquote creature has lots more than three hit points, but mm-hmm. Its narrative is nominally, you know, this is dozens or hundreds of uh, one or two hit point creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, this should do the thing. That's that'd be really cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, locate remains is locate object with dead bodies. That's right. a, a classy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, spectral voice is you ventriloquism, know ventriloquism. But ventriloquism in, for the next a, a dead body. Yeah. yeah and. <laughs> Here we get into just how can you re- you know re-justify extant spells into mm-hmm. necromancy, and that's fine. It's a little <sighs> D&D doesn't work like this. Maybe it should, but it doesn't. 
I mean, the thing is, you know, if you're going to think of this as a uh, reskinned ventriloquism spell, right? Then with maybe a slightly, you know, turned effect or something, um, then I would rather them have put in this book instructions on how to think about reskinning yeah. uh, spells that are already there to match the theme that you're going for, right? And mm -hmm. give this as an example, right? Yep. Here we took the ventriloquism spell and we are now sort of reskinning it as or reformatting it or re-envisioning it. How they don't have to say reskin. I don't care what term they use, but you know, as as this spell that a necromancer would use. And here it is. Here's the result of that. Here's the process we went through because then you're teaching something. And otherwise this feels like sort of a cheap wasted quarter page, right? Yep, I agree with that. Um, actually, embalm is a spell. Let's gentle repose. We're, we're good. Mm -hmm. um, this is maybe the first appearance of gentle repose. I didn't even thought about that. Um, is gentle repose in second edition? No, not not to my knowledge. Is uh, what's I think the gentle name repose first shows in third. Isn't there some sort of like shroud of life or something spell in second edition though that basically is gentle repose? I can't remember. Uh, you know, very, very possibly. Yeah. In any, in any case. Yeah. So embalm just lets you do that, but to a cadaver, <laughs> right. To a corpse, um, you know, you know, cause remember also what they're doing is they have these sort of archetypes that they have fed to us or, or given to us in the beginning. And for example, one of those archetypes is the anatomist who has a, you know, autopsy power right and so this is one of those that's very thematic um and again you know it would be interesting to sort of walk us through the thought process behind this spell and why they chose to do it this way right mm -hmm. um in terms of that archetype like i feel like this spell section rather than just laying out a bunch of spells it could actually be a little more instructive but you know i mean uh, for the time that it was published and for what it is, it's, it's pretty good still. Sure. Um, um, and then we have living link, which is um, basically the, the same as the, the corpse link link, um, except yep. now it's with a living creature. And, and here's where it's nice that um, in second ed spells can belong to more than one school. Mm -hmm. And that that's just a thing. Right. Uh, this is a necromancy divination. Uh, we've also got necromancy alterations, necromancy evocations. Mm -hmm. uh, Almost none of these are just single, single school. Yeah. Right. It, it's got me thinking about what does that mean within second ed and who can learn the spell? Mm -hmm. Do you need to be able to learn both or just one? I, I'm just not looking one it up right now. Just one rules, okay. right? Um, I, I'd hope so because otherwise necromancers yeah. are extremely hosed. Right, but but remember that depending on which archetype you choose, you're blocked from certain schools, which means right that if this would allow you to learn this spell, even though it might theoretically also go in that other school. That, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it makes it more flexible, not less. That's that's true. Um, and then and then one of my favorite spells, skeletal hands. Yeah. By casting no. the spell, the wizard animates a pair of skeletal hands that levitate in midair and move as directed by the caster who uses verbal commands and somatic gestures to guide them. Uh, folks, it's mage hand, except it's two of them and they're skeletal hands. And the second level. 
and they're well, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but they can actually wield melee weapons. Yeah. They do yeah. half damage, but mm-hmm. right. That's that's still that, that's more functionality you get in a mage hand. So I can appreciate that. Um, reasonably okay. long duration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, pretty uh, much once you cast it for probably the rest of the combat, you're 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 gonna have it there. Yeah. Um Bone Dance um is a very <laughs> short term animate dead in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh you've got to actively manipulate it. It it isn't sort of tied off into its own creature. Um um, it's interesting too oh, that's that it, pretty it, cool. it suggests uh, combining this spell with spectral voice um, or corpse link. Yeah. Uh, so that you can actually have the combined effects of those spells and have a better, you know, more effective decoy or, you know, a more effective ruse, whatever ruse you're trying to perpetrate with a corpse. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is pretty cool. Uh in fifth ed, we probably wouldn't set it at third level in terms of just the yeah. real functionality you get out mm-hmm. of it, but it's pretty cool. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, f- false face is another classic of stealing a dead person's face. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is right. the, the faceless man from Game of Thrones. Just very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have a lot to like make it stand up against disguise self in in fifth but fine whatever right yeah. um skull trap is a kind of spell that second ed was really into various kinds of trap spells mm-hmm. that are just hard to figure out how you'd get someone to trigger that in the ordinary course of play but I think the idea is you're leaving it behind and another person who's exploring or maybe someone who's intruding on your, your home base is getting screwed over by it. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and it, it says in the text that it's extremely easy to set it off, you know? So a, a curious rat who boops, who boops it with their nose is going to set it off. Right. Um so, you know, in fact, it's so easily set off that they normally don't cast the spell and then move the skull to the place they want to put it at. They move yeah. the skull first and then they cast the spell. That just makes me think about setting up trap modules and LARPs. <laughs> setting mouse traps is a pain in the butt. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, if you don't know about trap modules and LARPs, uh, we use mouse traps and the snap of the trap is how you know something mm-hmm. bad has happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, that happens when someone pulls on the fishing line that's tied to it in right. the wrong way. Right. Just Yeah, so those of you that were imagining Brandis shoving the hands of his LARP players into the mousetrap, that is not, in fact, what's happening. Uh, I haven't done that in a long time. No, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. That would be wrong. <laughs> and, then, and then a really interesting spell, Brain Kill. A uh, wizard using this spell, which operates much like the Forget spell, can permanently burn from the memory of any one creature, all knowledge of either a specific place, a specific person, or a specific time period of up to one year. That is so much nastier than modify memory. Yes. Holy. 
is super duper nasty, which is in it, it, it is, it can have such an evil effect that it's fourth level and it's only in the necromancy school. But the thing is that it has a limitation. It can only affect the victim's memory and their ability to recall factual information. So if they learned something, it does not affect their muscle memory. They just can't remember learning it. They know Kung Fu without having remembered learning it. I mean, okay. normally when I want this, I just combine uh, Kahlua vodka and sparkling water. That's a mind eraser, folks. Mind eraser. <laughs> That does not have the same effect of preserving your muscle memory and your coordination, though. <laughs> no, it does not. That is accurate. <laughs> um, and then em- empathic wound transfer. So here's one of your, your healing spells. Um, you transfer the wounds of one creature to the caster themselves. Yep. And they, they can Third take- level spell. Yeah. Uh. I mean... You know, it's not super duper powerful, but it can keep you from dying. Yep. And and this spell is also third level in fifth, mm-hmm. where it is uh, life force transfer, maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the wrong name, but it's pretty close to it. Let me mm-hmm. look that up. Um, and then. Uh, life transference. Yeah. Life transference. Right. And then, and then we get to summon spirit. It's in, it, it is interesting um, how many of these spells actually did make it into fifth edition. But just by the yeah. way, as a you know, as as a sort of side note, um, it's pretty interesting. And you know, I don't know third edition well enough to know how many of these were ported over to third edition first. So I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't make that leap. I can't, I can't make that connection. For me, it's more of a leap from second to fifth because most of these are not in fourth in any uh, recognizable manner without really digging into um some parts some parts of that that we don't have time for it's beyond the scope of this particular podcast today but um but it's safe to sort of set forth the sides fourth goes off on this sort of side trek with its spell casting that does not it's not really applicable in, in this conversation per se um but i don't know third well enough so for me it's a big ga- a chasm it's a big gap i'm jumping to think about this going from here all the way to fifth edition. Um, we should at some point dig into uh, Libris Mortis and mm-hmm. Heroes of Horror a little bit, uh, and probably also um, Book of Wild Darkness, mm-hmm. because they're playing in a lot of the same space at the 10,000 foot level. I don't remember how many of these spells they're actually going to hit. Yeah. Um, summon Spirit, um, like something like this in uh, sort of 10,000 foot concept um, exists in fifth, but every part of what this actually does, no, not even a little bit. Well, I mean, this spell is basically speak with dead. Right. It's speak with dead without any body parts. Right. Right. Um, And like, this is one of the most classic things for a, a, necromancer or witch or magician to do in legend right mm-hmm. uh you you pour some wine on the grave and shed a little blood and you get to talk to the spirit it's great right um i mean it's a fourth level spell though so i'm like 
Yeah, it's it's way overpriced. Yeah. Sorry, it, we are talking about fourth level, not third level. I guess. Yeah, That's sorry. Bra- we, we, skipped, we skipped right into fourth level when I got that, to uh, bring. That was on me. That's on yeah. me. No, it's fine. Um, um, but yeah, you, but you know what I'm saying? Like it feels very, it should not be fourth level. That's what it feels uh, like. I, I generally agree with that, but it's pretty cool. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Th- this is way into style over substance. And mm-hmm. I have some respect for that. Sure. Um, well, because it's not out of the bl- it's not out of the blue, right? Like that's this whole book has been that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's not you know. So let me talk about bind undead because I, I highlighted a whole big section of this. Okay, so here's what it does: this spell automatically affects all chosen corporeal undead of six plus or less hit dice. That's a lot, right? Six yep. six or less hit dice, including and it gives you this giant list: coffer corpses, crypt things, ghouls, gas, great goals. Huecuva, which I can never pronounce, mummies, all types of skeletons, sons of Caius, whites, and all manner of zombies with no saving throw. These creatures curl into a ball. If more than one undead is affected, they are all gathered into one tightly packed sphere. The affected, un- the affected undead are held helpless and immobile. Their, spec- their special abilities are in stasis until the spell expires or the caster frees them. The diameter of this ball of undead is typically two to three feet per affected creature. So you can make a huge sphere. Typically, the bone ball, as they're calling it, <laughs> is rolled off of a cliff or onto an obstacle or, f- or fire or, or conveyed into the midst of foes, whereupon the caster ends the magic and the undead sort of unroll from each other and now attack. <laughs> I, I just, I would like to just point out uh, for the math and physics nerds out there, assume a spherical zombie. <laughs> Uh, with no friction, because, you know, that's just... Yeah, uh, spherical <laughs> frictionless zombie. <laughs> Oh, I just I, I love this. And here here's the here's this is the reason why um summon spirit feels so weak to me because this is a fifth level spell. It's yes, it's one level higher, but that is badass. It's completely bonkers. <laughs> and and summon spirit is like, eh, okay. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, totally awesome. I love it. That, that's well, probably that- that's one of my favorites in this entire book. I mean Yes, probably we do need some just over-the-top, messed-up necromancy. Like, this is something that Harrowhark the Ninth would do, and I love that about it. <laughs> I straight-up love that about it. It is some of the just, y- you what? <laughs> that like, leaves Gideon staring in horror at Harrowhark at the beginning of Gideon the Ninth. Mm-hmm. That is great. Give me more like this. Like I, I'm gonna seriously sit down and write a spell where like the necromancer just horks up zombies like they're the zombie horking T-Rex in <laughs> Tomb of Annihilation, because that is crazy and I yeah. love it. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. <laughs> um next up we have Bone Blight, which is horrible. It it's your bones. Button. It, it's bad the reverse is nice well and here's the thing though the person the, the afflicted individual does not know it's happening until they get 
until it gets really bad, right? That is a really horrible. I mean, that it's it is it's, awful. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Awful. The uh, the reverse uh, bone growth is pretty cool, um, and you know it's not a it's not combat healing by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's a nice reminder of a second irreversible spells are totally a thing. And right. if we're going to give you mastery over bone growth in its various forms, we should deliver on that. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Also the, um, the, the component for, for bone growth is a drop of milk. Yep. Which is a little nod to milk. It does your body good. Yep. Um, I, here's the thing about this spell. This spell is like a torture device. Oh, I'm going to cast this on you. And you're going to have this horrible, excruciating pain and this horrible effect. Oh, and when you get bad enough to beg me for help, I'm going to heal you. And now you're at my mercy. Mm-hmm. Right? Do not make me mad again because I will cast Bone Blight on you again. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a yep. horrible way to control minions. I mean, it is definitely very good for explaining why people are scared of necromancers and hate them. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, the the next spell, Graft Flesh, mm-hmm. is not going to reduce that fact. No, it's not. Um, it basically lets you make a Frankenstein monster. Um, I'm, sort of. I'm extremely into this content. <laughs> this is this is my favorite content. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of thing that was at the core of one of the PC races in Dust to Dust. Mm-hmm. Right? We had homunculized PC race grafting on parts from other bodies was a major part of their deal. Yeah. It was gross and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pr- pretty nasty, but uh, a pretty interesting effect if you can, if you can do it well. Yep. Um, and then corpse host, which yep, we're getting into six level spells. Now. Yep, now we're in six level. Um, basically the caster transfers their life force to animate a fresh corpse. And, but it's not just a typical animation where you've animated dead and now they're walking around like mindless zombies. This thing can actually move and cast spells. I mean, you're casting the spells, but it's the spells going to go through that creature that you've now turned into your host, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, Really cool for an undead lair like really awesome effect to have a bunch of corpses that look like zombies start casting spells when it's actually the necromancer who raised them. That's doing it really nice way to do that. I'm not sure if it should be sixth level. Like it feels, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Casting spells through it is the kicker, right? That's, that's pretty. That's the whole pitch of, of the thing. Yeah. Like how does it stack up against simulacrum is really the question you have to start asking yourself. Yep. Um, And as the spells are still coming out of your own spell columns, mm-hmm. so right. okay, yeah. um, like it's it's cool. I'm I, I like it. Um, it it does kind of feel like it should just be a regional effect mm-hmm. that a necromancer boss has, right? Yep. So that that's maybe also to 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 its credit. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, yep. ghoul gauntlet. Yeah, so basically oh. you can uh, you can turn any target into a ghoul, a ravening, flesh-eating, horrible, oh. slathering ghoul. 
It's it's literally just save versus school. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yep. I mean, it, in terms of the save or die spells of second ed, this mm-hmm. one's mean. It's real mean. Yeah. Um, well, because the thing is, like, if you if you get turned into a ghoul and your saves don't work and no one can cast a spell on you to save you and you, and then you die, you then actually rise as a true ghoul. Yep. Not not just a ghoul from the spell, but like a real. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, transmute bone to steel this is a fun one. Uh, um, yeah, this is literally how you make Wolverine. Right. Yeah. So basically anything that is made of bone, any object, whether it's a skeleton or, or something that's been carved out of bone or anything, you actually make it as strong as steel. It doesn't actually change its appearance. It still just looks like regular bone, but it is now as strong as steel. Uh, uh, this one, I guess, stuck in my memory um, more than I had realized because the thing about transmuted skeletons having AC3 mm-hmm. and taking half damage from physical attacks um, had been kind of bouncing around in my head for the years since I read this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would love to know about this book and this content um, is if it ever saw use at anyone's table. I, I wonder that about all kinds of tabletop gaming content I've read over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of, especially third-party um, content from the uh, third ed OGL, and plenty of yeah. content from the fifth ed OGL. You know, including yeah. mine. Not going to lie. You know, how much of it has ever seen use at a table? And I'll just remind you that the best thing you can ever do for the writer is to say, "Hey, we used your content." <laughs> I mean, I will tell you that um, I think that my DM at the time. We were playing first edition, but this it was still in the 90s and this book was out. I think they used this, except they they skipped the part where it says that the bones don't change in appearance because we fought some damn metal skeletons. Because and they, it's red. Right. And we had this ba- it's same thing, like AC3. They only took half damage, but you could sick some rust monsters on them and <laughs> they would have to run away, you know, like that sort of thing. Um yeah. And so, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I think this was used in, in a game that I was a player in. I was not the DM at the time. Um, um, I couldn't tell you exactly because, you yeah. know, I wasn't the DM, but. Sure. Well, the other thing I love about this is the reverse of the spell, transmute steel to bone. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, because, of course, Second Ed mm-hmm. has rules for bone weapons. Right. Of course. Yes. Dark Sun. It's mm-hmm. in the edition. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. That that's very amusing to me. Um, <laughs> so next up is seventh level wound conferral. Um, this seems a little, but vampiric touch is right there, and so much lower level. Why? Yeah. So, but okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but this is. Um, I guess it lets you move wounds from uh, one target to another without using yourself as part of the equation. Right. It, it, but also um, the, level. the idea though, is that everybody is, is consenting. 
So this is right. meant to be in the healing realm, right? This is meant to be a benign or a white spell, even though uh, it's white necromancy. You could you could use it against somebody. Hmm? I'm just reading the, the yeah. last paragraph of the spell. Yeah. What? <laughs> Why is this here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's terribly exhausting for the caster. After the exchange is complete, the wizard temporarily loses seven points of constitution. You what, mate? <laughs> there are a couple of spells in here that do that, that they that they remove constitution points um, temporarily. Ooh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've seen that two or three times now already. Uh, because you th- that's the thing is that like these these that's the that's the cost of being a white necromancer, even though it's the the benign or white necromancy, it's still disabling to your life force, yeah, right? even I though you're it. actually healing somebody. So it's very thematic. I actually like the fact that they made it really thematic, but Jesus, seven con points. <laughs> yes. Like just like one is steep. Yeah. For a seventh level spell. Well, and here, here's Why? the other thing. Seven, and if it drops below three, they go unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, like, I guess go get a cleric, guys. There's no yeah. point in having this. Fine. Right. Yeah. Um, then we get to eighth level spells, Death Shroud. Uh, the spell described here is uh, fairly similar to the third level spell, Spirit Shroud. From uh, from Tasha's, um, just with a lot more moving parts and spells that countered it for some reason. Yeah. So so basically, the necromancer pulls energy from the negative material plane and imbues it into their target. And that causes really, really damaging energies going into the target. Uh, negative material plane being something like the shadow fell, if you're right. you know, playing fifth edition. Um, and um, yeah, so I mean, and it's also like a, a um, protective for the cast. Protective. Yeah, it's the necromantic version of a fire shield, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It, you're you're exuding death energy, and anything that strikes you is going to get screwed by it. That's that's fine. That's good. I'm into that. Um, yeah, like th- that's all. That's all cool. Um, yeah. So, and then and then life force transfer. Yeah. And so it says upon completion of this long and highly versatile incantation the caster permanently transfers a creature's life force into a specially fabricated item, a magical receptacle or the body of another individual. Um, The casting time is eight turns. That's what it's talking about. It being a a long incantation. Um, And turns eight turns. Yes. 80 80 minutes. minutes. Yes. And um. If you don't, it, you, this basically lets you, it puts your body into a, basically a comatose state for like a week, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't return the life force to that body within that week before that seven day period is over, the body will die. And the, the, the life force gets trapped in whatever you put it in. 
Yep. But you can put it in a sword and it becomes a sentient weapon. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, that, that's why this is an eighth level spell because you're yep. literally like creating something from someone else's life force and it doesn't separate their intellect from the life force. Oh, it, yeah. The, the, the final variation where you perform all except the last syllable of the spell and then mm-hmm. that takes just a single segment mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. cast however right. much later. Right, right. That's also very cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's I mean, this is more than a full page of text mm-hmm. okay. to, yeah, to yeah. describe. Yeah, this is but this is complicated. Like, yeah. It it's interesting stuff. This has the right feel of very high level spell casting to me. Um, I think I would like to see it be just a little bit more, you know, applicable to likely situations. But mm-hmm. in principle, I like what's happening here. Well, and it's reversible. So you can take the item that has someone's life force in it, and you can actually put that in a new body in, ca- in the case mm-hmm. of the other body dying or something, right? Um, and but then you, you have to do a system shock, right? But you're basically you can take that person's entire essence and put it in a new body. Uh, yeah, like I think that there's just a lot of really interesting possibilities here that yeah, I yeah. want to I want to really go through this with a fine tooth comb and think about applications. Right, right, and right. I, yeah, I, I'll just tell our dear listeners I have not done that right now. I, I'm just making the case for it being at the right spot. It's 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 correct in my brain that it makes sense as an eighth level spell. Sure, sure, sure. Because it's pretty damn powerful. Sure. Um, um, and it, but it takes a lot. You know, it's not just a one paragraph. You know, wham, bam, here you go. It's uh, intricate. It has a lot of details that have to be followed. Um, a lot of components. A lot of different. You know, th- th- there's things going on. This is a story. This is a spell that you tell a story with. Yep. Right. And I'm very into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, spells as narrative, uh, you know, building blocks. Extremely a big fan there. Um, then ninth level, we have Death Ward. Uh, mm-hmm. It is not the same as the, the Death Ward spell from third and fifth. That you might be thinking of. Um, this is warding a place uh, to do horrible things to anyone who passes through that door. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's basically a triggered death spell, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. And, and that's very cool. Um, you know, it's uh, save or die power, sort of notwithstanding. Um, right. This is basically, okay, I'm a necromancer and I'm high level and I have a tower or a laboratory somewhere where I'm doing my spell research and my horrible, horrible, you know, experiments and all that stuff. And I don't want anybody coming in while I'm off on my latest adventure to muck up my laboratory. Yep. So I put a death ward on my entryway. I will say that what the... What the name of the spell 
brings to my mind and uh, would would be appropriate for, for an ethical spell is actually uh, I've worded out death. Death just can't enter here. Like it doesn't matter what your point total is. Mm. You're not dead in here. Yeah. And I would. This is more like write that. I'm calling death to come and take you if you try to enter my space. That's what. Yep. I am that, wording my space with death. That that is also very cool. That that is that is classy. Yeah. Uh, the twenty five percent chance of going insane for using it, I think, is just unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because but 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 notice what it's 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 sort of referring to the contact other plane spell. It's like yeah. that's where they pull that idea from because you kind of are contacting entities that can strike someone down and cause the death of them. Yeah, you, that, you know, that's, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, just also notice that um, if you're a lich, that does not apply. You never go. Oh yeah, yeah. crazy. You're, yeah. you're already you're already okay. dead. That's right, right. right. Well, no, but I mean, uh, no, I mean, I mean, when you if you cast the spell, you are not subject to the twenty five percent chance of going insane. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, the mental stability afforded by Lichdom makes these undying wizards completely <laughs> immune to the dangers of employing the sport. Yes. Sure. I'm sorry. Mentally stable liches. What? <laughs> are they? Where? <laughs> um, but yeah. it's nice to see what. What specifically a Sarah is going to do to your butt? Right. Yeah. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Uh, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, the, so, part of the reason why I like these really long descriptions is it it's kind of doing that uh, uh, that thing that I said earlier, where it's kind it's spelling out for you exactly their train of thought and their references that they're using to construct this. For sure. Again, I wish they would do it more as a you know a sort of training or teaching. For sure, aspect, but you know it's it's good. Yeah, no, th- th- it's cool. Um, it, there's just a lot of like, I want to pick through this and really understand every clause mm-hmm. before I use it, and that's a lot to feel confident about. Yeah, um, yeah. But there are some aspects of of writing here, such as giving examples that we just don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. If right. you need to give an example, you should write it differently. Is right, yeah, yeah. basically yeah. the the premise mm-hmm. of modern writing. Right, um, and finally, uh, life force exchange, um, which, uh, I mean, it, it 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 does that. It exchanges the life force between uh, two uh, creatures. Two two creatures. Their, their bodies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's basically body switching. You know, I, I love yeah. a good body hopping story. That was one of our villains in Dust to Dust. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Great. Uh, revoke life force exchange. Yep. There you go. That's yep. that's nice and rude. And I do love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, that brings us to the end of the, yep. the, the wizard necromancy spells. And basically the end of the wizard, wizard section, because now we're going to get right. the death priest chapter and then we get the death uh, priest spells. Right. Yep. And so much as the much as the, the the wizard section started out with sort of archetypes, the death priest section 
kind of starts out with arch- archetypes, but it, it, it presents it as, uh, well, so it does give you the sort of uh, the, the one to 30 level extended death priest advancement table, right? Um, yep. The same that you get for the wizard. And then it talks about the different gods that would have a death priest sort of worshiping them and that they would provide power to. And uh, these are the archetypes, right? So there's the god of the dead, the uh, goddess of murder, the god of pestilence, the, uh, the, the god of suffering, and there's one other, right? The Lord of the, the Lord undead. of undead. Yeah. Yep. And so those are the, the, that's sort of the archetypes, right? So those are the sort of four or five different things that you're going to get when you're thinking about, well, what would a death priest do? And these are uh, specialty priests mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, right. in in the way that is common throughout Second Ed uh, right. of having specialty priests for each god. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and so much much like the the wizard entries, they're giving you know they give you a little uh, sort of discussion of the god of the dead and you know what they what they do what you call their priests and all that what their alignment is generally their minimum ability scores weapon proficiencies non-weapon proficiencies what they're able to dress in like what kind of armor they can wear what role they would play in civilization or in a cult and then of course the spheres of influence which is very important for the specialty priests um and then they have a granted necromantic spell list and then they're going to have some granted powers, much as the wizards had some granted powers that weren't just get some spells. And then they have right. some limitations. Yep. Um, and the limitations of these these five different priests, especially priests, they are they range from sort of almost inconsequential to something that could be very consequential to a game for example uh one of the limitations of what's this first one the the god of death is all death lords which is what you call a priest priest of the god of death all death lords must adopt a spartan monastic lifestyle okay well i mean you know i (laughs) first of all if this is an npc there are ways that the dm can present that as what's going on but that's not really going to make that much difference right I mean, you know, so that's not that sort of thing isn't going to affect, right? So, whereas a lot of the wizard limitations or the wizard drawbacks were actual drawbacks, mechanically speaking, you know, to the character, this is not a mechanical drawback in in any way. Yeah, you know. well, it's interesting how many of these uh, touch on um, priestly celibacy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, and then there's the you know in the goddess of murder the the priests are all male because the 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 symbolism is that they the priests are married to the goddess they're joined in a symbolic marriage. Yeah, that's you know it's kind of a, every part of that idea is weird. Yeah. Um, not least of which is because um, forgotten Rome's may not have been a formal headlining. Uh, setting, but mm-hmm. well, uh, you can't use any part of this in second ed. Like, yeah, the, every option for a 
deity of murder in Forgotten Realms is male, mm-hmm. Baal or Sarek. Right. And so, again, we run into the situation where they sort of do these, they make these generic specialty priests, and they have the god of the undeath is later, and it's not like not what you might be thinking of when you think of the God of undeath <coughs> Orcus, <coughs> right? It's not that. Sure. So, um, you know, this, these are sort of generic. And again, I wish they had done this more as a um, example of here's how you would create. And I know that, you know, there's a whole, you know, what is it? The, the um, there is a book that tells you how to create specialty priests, right? But this would be great to show us, with necromancy as the main thrust, like, I don't know. Yeah, for this sure. would be better as an example rather than some generic gods. I, I tend to agree with that. Uh, I will say the Lord of Undead uh, really points out to me uh, part of why uh, Wolfgang Bauer gets a, a playtesting and review credit in this. And, uh, uh, like, yeah. I, I feel yeah. like maybe Steve Kurtz had a conversation with Wolfgang because... Mm-hmm. Like the 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 Ghoul King has been a, a major recurring character in his work for right, you know, right, decades. yeah, 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 for sure. And it's amazing. So yes, keep doing that, Wolf yeah, King. Yeah. Thumbs up, yeah. buddy. Um, so uh, th- there, you did skip the God of Pestilence, or as we know him in the Year of Our Lord twenty twenty one, COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, so they they try to. Um, he opposes mask mandates. Is what I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they try to give several different examples of how to create, you know, and then there's the God of Suffering, you know, how to create a nice specialty priest. But again, these examples aren't really showing me how to do it. They're just giving me generic examples. Right. And I don't know. The, the one for the God of Suffering starts out sounding like it's going to be um, – Ilmater from Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. and then takes this hard turn into um, flagellants from right. um, Darkest Dungeon or Warhammer Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Well, they talked about flagellants. Didn't they talk about flagellants in 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 um, was it creative campaigning or was it villains? The Book of Villains when it talked about their minions and sidekicks. Didn't it talk about flagellants as? Oh, maybe I already put it out of my mind. To be yeah. honest with you. So, um, um, yeah. So I, I mean, but you know, who knows? I, I, yeah. They do, they do sort of start out as something that, um, you might think is going in one direction and then it sort of switches. And maybe that's the point of it is that they're just trying to show these differences. But again, you know, um, I would rather have a, here's how you do this than a, here's five of them pick one, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I do see what you mean about the Wolfgang Bauer thing, though. Um, uh, all right. And then that's going to end. Uh, then it, it ends the it ends this section. It ends this chapter with um, yep. an admonition to purchase a whole bunch of other books. Uh, <laughs> um, well, and, yeah, like I you mean, do. You know, yeah, like you do. Uh, and then it, we get to the priest sphere, which is just your your chapter with priest spells in it. Um, yep. Uh, this one seems a bit shorter than the other. 
overall? Let me see if it's actually true. So uh, the one thing I want to say about this. Um, it's a few pages shorter. Yeah. I mean, so, so like some of these are, you're pretty t- like, so one of them skeletal servant. All right. So you temporarily animate the bones of a dead human, demi-human or humanoid creature of man size, or you basically just created a skeleton, right? You, sure. You've created an unseen servant, except it is seen. It's a skeleton. Yep. Right. That's what that is. Um, spectral senses. And it's a priest spell. And it's a priest spell. spell. It's a priest spell. These are are all priests, right? And then uh, spectral senses, you create a sense link, sensual link, a sense link between the, it should say sensory link, but anyway, between the priest and a skeleton or zombie. Basically, this is that same spell. uh, What was it? A corpse link, right? It's spectral sense. It's just corpse link, except it's a priest spell instead of a wizard spell. Sure. Um, you know, so some of these, I noticed that as I was going through these, that some of these literally are just the priest version of some of those wizard spells. Not all of them, but some of them, um, which is fine. Again, that would be, be much better if they had used it as the exemplar. Okay, we want to create a spell that does this. Here's how we would flavor it if it's a wizard necromancer. And we can take that same concept and here's how we would do it if you were a priest. And you wanted yep. to cast something similar. Like that's much more instructive than just presenting a list of spells. Um, yep. Some of these are pretty interesting, like resist turning. Um, Ebony Hand is interesting in principle, though maybe not enough overall. Did I miss um, that one? Where's that one at? It's the very first one. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I totally skipped that. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, just because. You know, a spell that buffs the inflict wound spells you want to cast. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I, I'd like to hear that one out. Go on. Yeah. It, it's sort of a use of a magic weapon spell, but very, very specialized for helping you spend more spell slots on inflict wounds. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's that's not a terrible idea. Um. Yeah, not horrible. Like, if you if you sold me, you know that spell at first level, concentration duration, but it buffs, uh, inflict wounds, adds inflict wounds to my options if it wasn't already, and lets me cast hold the, give me some kind of benefit by casting hold the dead, mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe chill touch, which is neither a touch nor doing any chill. cold yeah. damage. <laughs> I digress. Uh, that's a great spell, and I would totally use it. Um, that's something that we don't see a lot in in fifth ed spell design right now, but I think there's still some fertile ground there. Um, it just requires you to have all these other spells, and they kind of don't want to engage with that too much. Right. Um, well, anyway. the one benefit you have is that since it's a priest spell or a cleric spell, Right. It's granted and you can just prepare it. Right, for you sure. Know, you don't have to learn it or choose it and then maybe sometimes not use it or whatever. You you just prepare it and you're fine. For sure. That that's absolutely true. Um here heartbeat is a little like the the movie moment of this is really nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh because you silence everything else and just listen for heartbeats. Mm-hmm. Um real uh, applicability in a game. 
I mean, you you bumped over to second level, so it feels like a big investment for yeah. something you might make a cool scene of once. Yep. Right? Everybody's invisible or some the thing you're chasing is invisible and it's a living creature, so you know, um like I get that, but really how often is that going to be right? And even though as I just said, it's not as if it's, you know, you can always just grant the spell but you have to prep it. So, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if it was first level, I would just because I feel like it's application is going to be rare. Right. Not even a real long duration, but that's good because you don't want that drawback for that long duration. Anyway. um, Um, Resist turning. It's something that uh, you, you basically, if you're commanding a bunch of undead, you can allow them to resist. It's classic. Trying to turn them. Yeah, it's perfect. It's yep. great. Um, it, it's going to help you win that like contest of you know dark powers against light. Right. Uh, rah rah dark powers. Let's go. Right. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, and then we go over to third level, death's door. So um, this is a, a sort it's of spare the uh, dying. Yeah, it's spare the dying, basically. <laughs> It, it's it's a white necromancy spell, right? That um, basically makes it so that you can uh, you can save somebody's life. But any healing spell would have done that, right? Um, yes, but you're a necromancer, so you won't necessarily have cure wounds, right? Oh, I guess you if, might if, be if locked out of the healing sphere. Yeah, you're you're a death priest, so uh, you're not necessarily uh, going to be, you know. Yeah. And your, but also your, it is your, good your, for your deity, like, your your death god doesn't like when um when you use that a rot that that rod of cure light wounds. So <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it it does have the benefit of um being really really great if you want someone alive but not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice for that. Yeah. Um, and then that that's uh, third level, and then also third level life drain. Well, that's obviously going to be a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe not enough, but a good time. Um, oh, it can increase your hit points beyond your normal maximum. Good. Yep. Mm-hmm. But basically, what it's doing is draining some hit points from a living creature, and then giving them to someone else or to themselves right yep. which again here's just a mimic of something we just saw in the wizard's spell chapter right right which in on one hand you know it's very thematic it's trying to tell you okay here's the thrust of these necromancy the school of necromancy spells are all very similar but i would rather have something new you know what i mean so sure. yeah, that's fine. uh Spirit bind amuses me because it is not the spectral parallel of bind undead. <laughs> if it bound up ghosts into a ball and threw them down a hall, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah, no, unfortunately, it doesn't do that. <laughs> um, but you know, fine, okay. Um, it's basically it's basically binding the life force to the body so that 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 spirit cannot be stolen basically right which is fine it's fine uh it's it prolongs that spirit's 
uh, applicability for raised dead and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just stretching out yeah, the time for Revivify would make it worthwhile, but we have, mm-hmm. I, think, I think Gentle Repose might do that. Yeah. I don't actually yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and then we get to fourth level spells. Yep. Cause insanity. Well, how do we feel about insanity mechanics? Yeah. And it, it also does feel a little off theme to me. It doesn't feel like a necromancy thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that things like spirit bind and um, a lot of the, the life force transfer things from the wizard section mm-hmm. uh, do fit really, really well into the in, into Gideon the Ninth and Herohark the Ninth. There are houses that are about that. And so I'm excited about those. Um, this is maybe not as much. And that series has just become my touchstone for um, how far away can you get before it's not, not necromancy anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, so the one interesting thing about this is actually, for me, the last sentence in this spell description, at the DM's discretion... Cure insanity, which is the reverse of cause insanity, may temporarily calm the demented behavior of certain extraplanar creatures. Hmm. For example, a slod, right? So, in other words, if somebody summoned something and shit's going sideways, you might be able to calm it down with this. That um, is kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting the way that that is because the reason it's interesting to me is not. It is just because it has taken something and now it has an alternate use, which I really like when spells have multiple alternate uses, right? Especially Absolutely. if they're sort of Absolutely. interesting alternate uses. And to me, that's striking me as a very interesting alternate use. Um, yep. One that would come in handy and not necessarily be the main point of prepping that spell, right? It just, oh, wait, well, will this work? Okay, here, you know. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, like especially when something seems really incredibly niche, mm-hmm. uh, sort of pushing past that into no, you just need to think it through a little bit more. Here's five other uses for it is really slick. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, boy, you thought bone blight was bad. Meet my new well, friend, Heart Blight. I mean, Heart Blight, you get three saves, and if you fail them all, you have a massive heart attack and die. I mean, I guess save three times and die is very fifth ed friendly. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, th- th- this is how yeah. Flesh to Stone works, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, it's, it's rude. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is. Um, and then Plague Curse. The necromancer bestows a powerful curse on a person or object, which becomes a carrier for plague and contagion. I, I do, uh, in, in Heartblight, I just want to point out for a moment the uh, anticipation of a true fortitude saving throw mm. that's going on in the mechanics. Mm-hmm. During the first round of the spell, the victim must make a saving throw versus death magic with a minus two penalty. This saving throw is modified according to the victim's hit point adjustment due to constitution. Plus one bonus for 15 con, plus two for 16 con, and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. They, they're 
recognize how much Khan needs to factor into some kinds of resistance to mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. deliver the story they promised yep. and how it isn't doing that. Right. I, I sort of like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. It looks forward to Fort Saves very specifically mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah, I can see that. And then later rounds taper off that uh, default penalty uh, while still having the con bonus. Con bonus, right. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but terrible things are happening to you each round of this spell. Right. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's the sort of, uh, for a fourth level spell, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, they get three saves, but the thing is, it's just so damn wordy. Like I just, it's, it's so damn wordy. It's, it's, it's a column and a half. Yep. It's, it's three quarters of a page. Yeah. I mean, contagion is awfully wordy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so plague curse mentioned that, uh, you know, plague curse kind of is contagion. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, just very long-term contagion. So sure. Yeah. And then, uh, then we get to fifth-level spells, and we start with undead spell focus. For the duration of this spell, the recipient undead becomes a magical focus for the caster who can now funnel any chosen currently carried companion spell through that undead. This is very similar to the wizard spell that we just talked about a few moments ago where you can have you can animate that zombie and then cast through it. It's basically that same thing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have some kind of scrying effect mm-hmm. active to right. know what it's seeing. But right. yeah, you can totally just mm-hmm. bot it around. Yep. I mean, that's cool. It's not bad. It's fine. Again, the some of these are very much sort of in the line of this is what the necromancer has and what they're using against you when you're raiding their tomb, right? Or when right. you're raiding their their home. Um, which is very, very cool. I'm not sure how applicable it's going to be for other situations or uh, yeah i mean uh, i will say that i would have a hard time feeling great about being a pc in the group where the the priest is not undertaking any risk and either like bots that undead alone into combat or bots the undead into combat alongside the rest of us right neither of those feel Mm -hmm. great to me as a player yeah yeah uh I certainly know of groups that do things that kind of abstruse and it's just normal for them, but it's not a mode of play that I'm used to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Scourge. Well, that's rude. Yeah. I mean, it's basically horrible diseases. Yeah. yeah, Worse disease than the one previous. (laughs) It's pretty bad. Yep. It's it's real bad. Um, and then yep, yep, might might result in an epidemic. Mm-hmm. Cool, just what I want. Right. I mean, it's it's Ebola, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it may lead to long term debilitating illness. 
Those ignoring the malignant disease resulting from the spell's effects for more than a few days may be susceptible to much worse afflictions, such as gangrene, plague, or leprosy. Yeah, pass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, this is what you would expect from a pest, you know, god of pestilence, right? Like that's, so it's it's very thematic. It's nice. It's just, you know, in the times of COVID, it's not as pleasant to, you know. Um, And then undead regeneration, which I think is a really cool you know, just basically a way to heal your undead. You you can heal your minions. Yeah, I mean, you need one of those in uh, in fifth ed since cure wounds doesn't work on undead. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um. And then the sixth level spells asphyxiate, which is um, Darth Vader. Yep. Uh, literally, you asphyxiate someone who fails their save versus death magic. <laughs> uh, and yep. you can, I mean, you can that's, target that's more than one person. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, targeting more than one person. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. With a save penalty based on how many people you target. Yep. And that's really, really necessary because the way saves scale, um, getting someone to fail a save is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's one of the quirks of 2E, mm-hmm. where save values, uh, save, saving throw target numbers live on the character rather than on the, uh, live on the defender rather than the attacker. Right. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And so you, as they get a high level, it's very easy to save, but mm-hmm. you can impose a penalty. Right, sure. right. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and then summon undead, which is exactly what you would expect. Does the thing, it summons undead. Mm-hmm. Um, Gives you a nice table. Yep. Oh, spell can fail three times in 20. That's rough. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> You're summoning undead. I mean, you know, it's fine. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's not really fine, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine right. for that spell. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, in second ed, this is a very strong spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, like, Boy, that seventeen. <laughs> Anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Whatever the DM feels like. Right. Good right. luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then seventh level spells, death pact. By completing this ritual, a high priest forges a powerful pact with his or her deity. The covenant ensures that a chosen individual will survive an untimely death. A death pact is triggered whenever the protected individual is reduced to fewer than zero hit points that is mortally wounded due to combat spell or accident in the same round, the subject receives a list of benefits. It's a huge list of benefits. Um, This is really cool. The reason I like it is because this is what a Pharaoh is having their priest cast upon them Mm. so that they cannot be killed. Right. That that is some classy stuff. I mean, I do love that. Yeah, that's really really cool. Um, again, we run into the territory of I'm. I don't know how I would use this in a game. Um, in terms of from the PC's perspective, right? Right. I, obviously, it's, this is a not, great thing for a villain, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've said before that when we're talking about like high tier villains, uh. I think one of your core questions is just why does normal stabbing not work? Mm-hmm. What, what additional thing do you have to do? 
to make the stabbing actually take. Right. And this is here for you. Mm-hmm. Well, this is one of those also that has, so this powerful spell will, is not without its costs. Forging a death pact is an exhaustively stressful process, drawing the priest into draining audiences uh, with extraplanar powers. As a result, establishing a death pact ages the caster five years and requires at least one week for complete recuperation, during which time the priest cannot cast any spells or engage in any physically demanding activity. Furthermore, when the pack is invoked, the mystical trans- the, the mystical transport and instantaneous healing exacts another toll, this time aging the recipient for five years. If the individual was raised, he or she also loses one point of constitution permanently. Um, so basically it ages you five years when you cast, when you make the pact. And then if the pact is enjoined because the creature that you're protecting actually gets, has to be protected because it's going to get killed. It ages you again, right then. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And and that's rough though. Mostly on humans. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, Which is uh, fine with me. I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the, the discussion yeah. of um, like slain priests and mm-hmm. necromancers sort of cutting a deal with their evil deities mm-hmm. to maybe get a price break on all of that. that that's all right. cool stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I like basically all of that content. Yeah, yeah. I do too. I, I like it a lot. Um, just the the amount of story that is elided with um, drawing the priest into draining audiences of extraplanar powers <laughs> breaks my heart. <laughs> you montage that. Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> That's the yeah. fun part. That's the right. cool part. Mm-hmm. Why? And right. of course, part of the why is NPCs did it. Oh, right. My bad. Mm-hmm. Right. But, were a PC to do this, you you simply must put that on camera. There's no other way. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, like um, you said, that's the fun part. If you yeah. skip that, why is that person even having that activity occur? Yeah, but but in a lot of ways, um, this is the kind of thing that in in fifth ed isn't a spell. Mm-hmm. What you cast was a spell to contact the extraplanar entity, mm-hmm. and then it gives you a supernatural gift. Right. Yep. And the supernatural gift does all the heavy lifting mechanically. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but as there are only seven levels of uh, cleric spells, uh, asterisk in second ed, that brings us to the end. <laughs> that there are no necromantic quest spells in here, the eighth and ninth level cleric spells of second ed, is strange. I'm going to say strange. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I'm not as, uh, I, I'm not as happy about the priest section of this book as I was about the wizard section of the book. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's just that uh, it doesn't live up to the wizard portion. Right. And it isn't as good. And, and it's not taking advantage of the advancements that had already happened mm-hmm. in second edition. 
uh, for priests and, and using those to good effect, right? It's well, ki- I mean, kind of stayed more generic. Part, part of the problem is that Second Ed just had less interest in like uh, the the scaling interest and potency of cleric spells that mm-hmm. I had for wizards. The, that's just that's just the life. The reason that kills me is that I am one of those people who loves clerics, right? So I oh, love. I, I feel you. I I love that part of the cleric. Like for me, clerics can be so much in every edition. Right. This isn't just a second edition or just this book thing, but in every edition, clerics can be so more flavorful and have so many more opportunities and different ways to be used, you know, and and not just with powers or or spells, but also just narratively, right? Um, I often say if you're if you're playing a cleric and every time your party goes to town, you don't go look for a temple to your god, you are missing out on so many opportunities, right? Like you just, there's just so much you can do with having a a cleric PC. And, you know, I could say that about any class. I just happen to favor clerics. So, um, you know, so this, this section, these two chapters just kind of fell a little bit short for me. Sure. 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 Uh, I agree with that. I think that um, some additional punch could, could really be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I will always be a wizard's guy first and foremost, but mm-hmm. I, I have played plenty of clerics in my life and I do love them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think a, another part of my problem is just my, my general dislike of how um, second ed handles spheres for clerics mm-hmm. and just the idea of giving up the healing sphere and such like, there is nothing that can pay you back enough for that. Right. They keep trying and it always falls short. And so this, is, this winds up being, there's just so much here that's just, we replace the healing sphere badly. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that's a good, that's a good salient point. Um, and, and the thing is that part, part of that though, is the expectations that the cleric is the healer. But it's and, a real thing. Like, I, I'm not, you know, like, I wish it wasn't that way sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of games I've played where I've wished it wasn't that way, you know, in a lot of different groups or whatnot. But ultimately, that is just the fact of how D&D has come about, right? That in general, up at least up through fourth edition, up to fourth edition, maybe I should say, the cleric was the person who's healing. So if you're in the party and you're playing a cleric, you're healing. If you made a PC that is not able to heal, everybody's going to ask you, why the hell are you playing a cleric? Um, I am comfortable with clerics who don't heal. It's just um, the healing spells are always going to be balanced pretty aggressively mm-hmm. um, so that you aren't spending every single spell slot just on healing the party. Sure. And I'm just saying the things this has done to replace healing are it's the same spell, but three or four (laughs) levels higher. Right. Right. I'm just saying that for the, for the general standard sort of generic party up, up, up until fourth edition. Okay. The clerics, the healer. No, I, I agree with that. 
I, I agree and, that is the trend. Yeah, I, and, I know and, of people who really aggressively went into third with, I'm not playing a healer. Mm-hmm. You want me to heal, get bent. And right. yeah. that's okay if their table is okay <laughs> with it. Sure. Uh, well, because and, Lord knows the third ed cleric is doing fine on power without healing. Yeah, yeah. Holy fork nuts. That is an overtuned class. Yeah, but I, I'm not even talking about mechanics. I'm just talking about the idea of right. when people sit down to play a D&D game b- b- prior to fourth edition, right. the cleric's the healer. And when you take and you take a specialty class and you throw that specialty, you know, element onto the cl- onto that class, onto that cleric, and they're not able to heal effectively, that creates a huge hole in the way that at the time, dare I say, the majority of players were conceiving of what a cleric does. Right. And that can I, be I agree fun with that and interesting. Right, that can be fun and interesting, but it can also be a giant slap in the face and surprise, and not in a good way. Right? Oh not yeah. A if, good you're, surprise. if you're doing that and you haven't signposted that to the party before the start right. of play, uh, there's a problem. Th- right. Then YTA, pal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What I what I do want to say, since you mentioned fourth ed, like in fourth ed, if you have the cleric class, you have a healing feature. You're not getting around that. Right, and yes. that's that's actually to the good. Uh, mm-hmm. You're a leader class. Deal with being a leader. Mm-hmm. You don't have to take additional healing powers. Right. Your class will work fine if you just have healing word as your main healing feature. But if you want to play a divine caster who doesn't heal, the invoker is awesome. I I am such a fan of fourth ed invokers because they were. I feel like they're there for, I want to play a non-healing cleric. Sure. I, I get that. That that works for me. I, for me, the reason why I left fourth edition out of the sort of diatribe that I went on was because yeah. in fourth edition, healing is, is much more available in many different ways from Absolutely. multiple different yeah. classes. And also everybody just has second wind, right? So yeah, yeah. like this is, this is one of those cases where, it was perceived, whether it's true or not, doesn't matter. But the perception was healing's really easy in fourth edition and everybody right. can do it. So you don't need a cleric to be the heal, the healing. Right. You, you don't need a heal bot cleric. You don't sure. need a heal bot. Uh, um, well, by and, design. And like, right. Oh, and, and one of my favorite things about fourth ed is absolutely how it jailbreaks healing out of, well, other classes can heal, but clerics are so much better that why would you? into warlords are perfectly good healers that could be your party's healer it's fine just don't worry about it it's fine um or bards or whatever right and i love that it's so great to feel like yeah i can just go play the healer i want to play but as you say uh every class having second wind is also great i mean i'm just trying to give the context for why i'm a little bit disappointed Right. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not arguing with you. Uh, yeah. No, I'm no. just trying to talk about healing in other editions. Yeah. Uh, since we've gotten onto it. Right. Right. But, but I also want to say that just as a to to sort of spring back onto the whole point of this, you know, recognize that 
the whole reason we're talking about is because of that phenomenon where the cleric is the healer. And as soon as you change that, like you have to really think about what's going on. And I almost feel like the spells that the uh, wizard gets that can actually provide some sort of healing wound, healing magic Mm -hmm. are better than what the cleric, the death priest gets. I, yes, they are for sure. Uh, other than uh, life drain specifically, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's not enough, and yeah, it's it's rough. Um, so uh, our, our shared maybe lackluster feelings about new priest spells and the, the exact way the uh, death priest gods were presented, notwithstanding, this is a strong section. Absolutely. Uh, these these chapters we covered are ultimately strong and and fun content and uh i think that if you want to like pick up this book just to mine for spell ideas it's not wasted time um yeah no i feel like i spent the last 20 minutes wailing on the the priest and the priest spell section i i i'm 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 just giving it in in the context of following such a strong wizard section it's just weak by comparison but it's still right. really good it's it right. still really is good there's there's classy material trying to think about it through a fifth ed lens takes a little bit more work in a lot of cases um but yeah i, I agree with you yeah final thoughts well um ultimately i would like to see uh, a lot more uh, variety and creep factor brought into new new necromancy spells, uh, whether by strip mining this book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the the three flavors of necromancy that they talk about for wizards in here, I, I want to see all of those, and benign necromancy doesn't see enough support, mm-hmm. right? Um, but to, to flash forward fully into talking about fifth ed right now, the necromancer subclass for the wizard is deeply disappointing, and the the story and fantasy that they're delivering with Grim Harvest is good, but the mechanics aren't there for actual play. Right, and I really want to see that uh, get some love in the 2024 updates lord knows if that'll happen uh they aren't putting me in charge of anything um <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's what i want to see happen that's what i hope happens mm-hmm. um because i think that like we've gotten to see the the like the fun of playing edgy characters uh for for a lot of things but just that necromancer is still so close to this is great for an NPC, but boy, is it not enough for a PC? Yeah. Because the use of the use of undead for a PC is still pretty rocky in D and D. There are all these other classes that are built so hard around. No, you can't, you're not allowed to be okay with undead. Uh, right. You can't expect any town you wander into to be okay with your undead. So mm-hmm. 
your sixth level feature as Necromancer is very close to a non-starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grim Harvest isn't good enough. And your 14th level feature, um, Command Undead, depends on you running into powerful undead that are worth commanding. At 14th level. That's the favorite enemy problem at 14th level and above. That, that's the the ranger favorite enemy problem mm-hmm. uh, taken to the nth degree. Right. Right. That's a problem. Guys, don't do that. Um, at least uh, inured to undeath is uh, interesting and solid. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I love the narrative of that one. Right. And the mechanics are neat, even if they are only going to come up every now and again. But they did get me to admit that there's one kind of pseudo-immunity that's cool in player hands. So, props to them. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I hear you. I was I was pretty disappointed with the um, that subclass. It was not. But uh, like, a lot of its problems do boil down to there aren't, aren't enough necromancy spells that deliver any kind of punch. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to kill someone with necromancy if there aren't good damage producing necromancy spells at low to mid levels. Like right. it's finger of death and vampiric touch and not much else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But vampiric touch is horrible for combining with grim harvest because grim harvest is then just a kicker on vampiric touch, which is already giving you so much more. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Way off topic here, but a, a major uh, bone of contention ha, huh, for me um, is is that necromancer. Um, so many of the uh, player's handbook wizard subclasses have stood the test of time and are, are still competitive with wizard subclasses coming out in the latest books, and the necromancer. And the Enchanter just aren't there. Uh, the Enchanter, because so many things are immune to charm, and it has nothing but charm. Yeah. And that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, I think that's a, a really fine end point to, to close out this episode on. Um, you know, as you know, we do try to bring, bring this material into our current games, and so you're hitting it. Um, yeah, that was, that was where I was coming from on that anybody out there who's playing a a necromancer in fifth edition is like damn it (laughs) well so i did right i was playing a knowledge cleric who also got all of the necromancer features Mm. and i I couldn't and i had i was allowed to pick up all the necromancer spells from wizard that i wanted right and i couldn't figure out how to make grim harvest do anything yeah. I even had inflict wounds, people. It was just I can't figure out how to fit using any of this into my gameplay loop. Right. It's just not yeah. practical. That's too bad. Yeah. Um, now, new spells have at least come out since then that might have like rejiggered my math and made me reconsider that. But mm-hmm. that's where I was when I was playing that character in I don't know 2016 ish. Oh, well, a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, we are seven years into this edition. That's I know. Not nothing. <laughs> All right. All right. So, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me 
on Twitter at Brenda Stoddard. I also write for tribality.com. My personal blog is brandisstoddard.com. And my Patreon is Brandis Stoddard. How about you, Sam? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel and online at rpgmusings.com and, of course, all over the Tome Show. And I think that's going to bring us out. Très bien, très bien.